Good morning, everybody. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Luke 22. We're going to be in verses 14 through 20. While you're turning there, I want to begin by sharing with you that this week I had an experience that was very affirming to me, and I really feel like a pastor now. As, as many of you know, I've been preparing for ordination, and this week I completed one of the major steps to get there. I sat before a council of men on Thursday, was asked really tough theological questions and my views about our statement of faith and on various topics, and I'm happy to say that I passed and I was re- recommended to... Uh, oh, thank you. I was recommended for my ministry license without reservation, which is as good as that can go. So um, appreciate your prayers on that, those of you who knew I was going into that. And as exciting as that was, the affirming moment that I'm referring to actually came the next day. On Friday, I received the call. And the call was, Austin, I'm sick. I need you to preach on Sunday. (laughs) So instantly I have all the great moments from sports movies flowing through my head. The the young, less experienced player got thrown off the bench right into the game. The seats are filled. The pressure is mounted. I hear the Rocky theme playing through my head. As I look back on my weekend, I imagine this elaborate training montage where I'm, I'm taking notes, I'm practicing at the pulpit, yelling words into an empty sanctuary. And if you've ever wondered why there's no epic pastor movies out there, it's because this is as nail-biting as it gets right here. All of that to say, Dave is sick, and he asked me to fill in for him. Uh, And I tell you all of this before my opening prayer, because as we go before the Lord, I need your prayer this morning uh, for his grace to be upon us, and despite a more hastily prepared sermon that we would hear from him this morning, that we would be moved to awe at his greatness, would you please join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come before you empty-handed, looking to receive from you this morning. Would you speak to us through your word? Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Would you convict us of our sin? Would you point us to Christ? Would you remind us of our need and the great fulfillment that is found in him and only him? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We've been doing this sermon series on declaring the manifold wisdom of God. We've been talking about the church and its various aspects. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about baptism. 
and I'm following that up this week by talking about the Lord's Supper. As you can see, uh, we will be partaking after the sermon of the Lord's Supper. I've found that there's nothing that brings new light to the practice of the Lord's Supper or communion than when you are visiting a new church and you find out it's Communion Sunday. Sometimes it's a lot more traditional than you're used to. All of a sudden, the people around you start reciting words in unison and you have no idea what they're saying. Sometimes it's so casual that the pastor said some words and people start standing up in no particular order and just walking forward and taking communion. It's, it's the simple things that come out, you know. Do I, do I hold the elements until everyone's done? Are we all taking this together? Am I waiting until someone says something? But my favorite is this. Oh no, I took too long to take communion and now everyone's already stood up and is singing the last song. Let me go ahead and, and chow this down really quick. Because when you don't know how a particular church celebrates the Lord's Supper, it really opens your eyes to the event. You're much more aware of your surroundings. I think if we utilize this gift of alertness, I, I hope it opens our minds to remember again, what exactly are we doing this for? Why are we here? Why are we partaking of this? And I say all of this fully aware that we may have visitors here today, so I want to say welcome, and don't worry, I'll tell you what to do before we do it. (laughs) Now in church history, this has been a subject of heated debate, and probably a fair place to look to if you're wanting to know the difference between Catholics and Protestants. This is one of the major debates between those groups. So what is going on here? Why, Why do we do this? I want to begin with what we believe about this practice, then we will move into how we prepare ourselves to participate, and then we will go and participate together. I'll start by saying it's an ordinance. I want to read from our statement of faith, the Free Church Statement of Faith, about baptism and the Lord's Supper. And you'll see this up on the screen. It says, The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. Now, in our church, we call them ordinances. And Pastor Dave took us through that last week when speaking about baptism. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are two things that Jesus has commanded that we do, but they are not means to obtain salvation. But they are to be celebrated as the church. Now, the reason I take us to this statement is because of these words that I really like there. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. I think these words are a great summary of what it is that we do. So if you hear nothing else today, let it be command or <clears throat> let it be this that we partake of the Lord's Supper not to receive salvation. But Jesus graciously commanded us to partake of this. Because it's a sign for us. When we, when we do communion, it is a way that we get to partake of the gospel in a way that is visible, in a way that is tangible. Because we see it. We touch it. We taste it. We hear the words of truth. And I'm going to leave it up to you today. If you want the full gamut of experience, you can smell the elements when they are passed to you. But this is purposeful. It, it isn't random that we do this. We learn by experiencing and participating. We get to use our senses and and live and experience the gospel. So I keep saying this word gospel, and let's not just assume that we know the meaning of that word. 
I want to speak the truth of the gospel to you, and I'm going to read from Romans chapter 6, 5 through 11. There's no outline today, um, but I have these verses up on the screen so we can look at them together. So you can stay in Luke 22 and we can look at these ones. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The gospel is the good news that if you have been united to Christ by means of grace through faith, then you have been united to Him in His death, and if in His death, then in His resurrection. Our old selves have been crucified with Him. We have been set free. Sin no longer has dominion over us and in us because we have died with Christ. So if you're here today and you are in Christ, I want you to rest assured in these words. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christ has died once and with finality. He will not die again and has no need to. Your sin was taken care of on the cross. And if you are in him, If you have been united to him, you have life. If you are here today and you have not trusted in Christ, you must realize that you are still in your sin and you dwell in death. Forgiveness of sin and true life are found in Christ and only in him. And this is not something that is obtained by being a better person, by doing nicer things or trying harder. It comes only by yielding to Him, by confessing your sins and receiving Him as your Savior. So if you hear His voice today, do not harden your hearts. Receive Him. Because this is the good news of the Gospel. Those who hear and trust can rest that their sins are done with. They will never be counted against them. Those who trust in Christ have life. So this is the gospel that we proclaim visibly and tangibly as we partake of communion. Christ's body was broken and offered. Christ's blood was spilled. And it is partaking of his death. It is in partaking of that death that we have life. Now there's an aspect of this union with Christ that we've talked about being united with him. There's another aspect of it that we need to highlight. And let me read it here from Ephesians 2, which will also be up on the screen. 12 through 16. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. It is on purpose that we do this when we gather as the church. The church is called the body of Christ. We are called together in unity to be one. And this passage shows us that though we were strangers and we were without hope, we have all been brought near by Christ's blood. In His blood, we not only find union with Him, but we also have union with one another. So if you're at home by yourself and you pour yourself a glass of wine and you break a baguette, you are not having communion. It's it's purposeful that we see this visibly when we are together. We are seeing one another partaking of this. And maybe that can be something new for you today as we partake of communion, something new for you to consider. Maybe you look around at others who are just as much in need of that grace as you are, who are trusting in Christ for salvation, and and celebrate that God has called all of us to himself. And then worship that God because he has bound you to those who are around you by his blood. So why is it a meal? Now, admittedly, a small cracker and a thimble of juice hardly constitutes a meal. But there was great purpose with Jesus giving his disciples this ordinance at the Passover meal. If we go back to our original passage in Luke, in Luke 22... We see that Jesus eagerly awaited partaking of this meal with his disciples because it had significance in the past, in the present, and in the future. This night that Jesus would be betrayed was also the night of the celebration of the Passover where they would prepare the lamb and they would eat the lamb. If you recall the Passover, what they're celebrating in the Passover, In the the book of Exodus, God hears the cries of his people that are in bondage and slavery in Egypt. He sent Moses to raise up his people and to demand that Pharaoh let his people go. And at Pharaoh's refusal, God demonstrates his great power and his sovereign will by rescuing his people out of bondage with great signs and wonders. And because Pharaoh hardened his heart, it came to the last plague, the last great sign of wonders, where the angel of death would pass through the city and would take the life of every firstborn. But those who had prepared the lamb and had painted his blood on their doorposts, the angel of death would pass over them. The angel would pass over those houses. So it was purposeful that this celebration time is when Jesus would be prepared, when his blood would be shed so that all of those who participate in his blood would have judgment pass over them. And they would have life. So Jesus was eager to share this meal with his disciples because the story, the the great story of redemption was coming to its climax. He got to tell them he is the true Passover lamb. Just like how they're eating the lamb now that was slaughtered and they're drinking this cup of remembrance so too shall you participate in my sacrifice. Like you remember this feast, remember my suffering and death once and for all. 
And Jesus also alludes to a feast that will be eaten in the kingdom of heaven. As Christians, we're always looking forward to when redemption is complete. At Christ's return, the church will be united with him in a spiritual way, but also in a physical way. You can read about it in Revelation 19, about the great feast that will come in celebration of the wedding of the Lamb and the church. And that is the glorious day that we look forward to. And even Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, and he was staring suffering right in the face, his eyes were fixed on that day when all of this would be complete, when he would make all things new, and, and God's people would be with him forever. So yes, we have this square of cracker and the thimble size drinking of juice. But I tell you that if this communion meal was a full bottle of wine and a bottomless basket of Olive Garden breadsticks, if we had all of that, it would still fall short of what we're talking about here, of what we're celebrating. Because here on earth, until Christ's return, we get only a taste. We have only a taste. This is simply hors d'oeuvres. This is a mere toast of what is to come. So how do we partake of this properly? Now let me tell you why this is even a question. If we go to 1 Corinthians 11, 27-29, which is up on the screen. Paul says this about the Lord's Supper. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What would Paul mean about an unworthy manner? This has been interpreted many ways throughout the centuries, but I think its base meaning should be understood as someone who has taken for granted what they are participating in. First of all, I think we should talk about those who are not in Christ. If you're not a Christian... We've already discussed the gospel, that Christ has died, and if your trust is in him for salvation from your sins, then you are one with him. But if you are not, you are still in your sins. You are still under God's judgment. It would be wrong for you to partake of this meal. God has given Christ as our sacrifice, and for those who are in him, it means life. But for those who are not in him, it means death. So if you were to partake of this, you are only partaking of judgment on yourself. So I urge you today, if you are not a follower of Christ, let the tray pass you. Do not partake of this meal. I know it's awkward. I know people might see. But it's better to be awkward now than to have that judgment upon yourself when you know full well what it means. But if you are not in Christ, or if you simply don't know, please come and talk to me after the service. Let this not be something that we just pass by. We need to talk about this. We need to have clarity. We need to have understanding with what's going on here. Another way we can look at the unworthy manner that Paul is talking about here, it's another misunderstanding of communion. That when we participate of the grace that God has given us, Jesus has, has many parables and condemning words for those who would receive God's grace, but then they would use it to withhold grace from others, or they would not accept forgiveness of other people's sins. 
Or they would simply use that grace and then claim that they can live their life however they want and go on sinning in any way that they want. But that is not the Gospel that you have received. So, if you have sins that have not been repented of, use that time to talk to God. Use this time of preparation to talk to God, to confess your sins so that you can receive His grace. So while the elements are passed out, we should have this time to examine ourselves. To examine what exactly is going on. What are we participating in? And I want you to remember that if we are in Christ, we have participated in His death, and we're participating in His resurrection, and that is what we're celebrating. You have not, and you cannot earn your place at this table by good behavior. Do not use the time of examination then to beat yourself up over your sin. Or or to make sure that you feel bad enough by what you have done that you feel like you can go ahead and receive. Jesus has already taken upon Himself the fullness of your sin, the fullness of that punishment, all that it deserves and all that it requires. There is nothing more that you can pay. So as you examine yourself, you take a look at your sin Have it be in the place of celebration. Approach boldly the throne of grace, knowing that it was your sin that separated you from God, but it's His body and His blood that you hold in your hands that brought you together with Him. Jesus, in His grace, gave us this sign, visible and tangible, that we might remember His death and taste anew this great salvation. So what's going to happen, I'm going to pray for us, and the elements are going to be passed out. You don't need to be a member of Westchester to partake of this with us, but only partake if you are a follower of Christ. What we're going to do, we're going to hold all the elements until the end, until everyone has them, and then we partake together. Could I have those who are going to pass out the elements come forward at this time? I will pray for us. Lord God, I thank you for the great truth that we have all wrapped up in this very simple meal that we partake of together. Thank you for the great truth of your gospel. Thank you for redeeming us by your blood. And Lord, I I pray that we would taste the significance of this today, that we would know in our participation here a new depth to your gospel, a new understanding of your love and your grace and your mercy for us. Thank you for breaking your body, for shedding your blood, that we might be recipients of redemption. Thank you for your grace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it. In the same way, also, he took the cup. 
after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is my favorite part. The last verse. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We proclaim together the Lord's death. We await that final day when He comes, when He makes all things new, when all of this is complete. And until that day, we have a little taste, a little reminder, a little assurance of what He has done and the final work He did on the cross. So we're going to sing in response to this. Could we all stand and have the worship team come up?